Good morning, everyone. Hope you are all doing great. We are in day 29 of Pathways Personified. Hopefully, this has been a journey that has uh, enriched your faith. Hopefully, you've been challenged uh, so far, and, uh, and hopefully, you've been able to take another step toward the heart and mind of God. Uh, the next two weeks, uh, we ratchet up the intensity a little bit. Today, we're talking about generosity. Uh, next week, we're talking about commitment. And uh, two words for a lot of people are like, ah, you know, so uh, who knows? By the third week, it might be plenty of parking and plenty of seats, right? So, uh, you know, week one, we talked about personification and what that really means. Week two, we talked about invitation, how we are invitation. We are to invite people uh, into a relationship with Christ. Then Pastor Eric talked about I am training and talking about just training our ourselves up to personify Christ. And then last week, Pastor Dan did a fantastic job uh, with I Am Service, something that he truly uh, embodies, personifies in his own life. And today we're talking about generosity. Generosity for a lot of pastors is one of those subjects that, to be honest with you, everybody's like, they talk so much about money or generosity at church? Why do they talk about that all the time? And honestly, I can tell you, you know, just kind of pull back the curtain for most pastors. Most pastors hate talking about generosity. Uh, they hate talking about generosity because it's a really, it's a heart matter. Uh, God, uh, or Jesus said, hey, where your treasures are, uh, your heart will be also. So really, when you're talking about generosity with, with time and talent and treasures, you're really talking about what's nearest and dearest to you. It speaks in, uh, directly into our most unchristlike uh, or uh, uh, characteristic, and that is selfishness. And there's a great tension and battle that goes on. The reality of generosity uh, is several things. Number one, in order to be generous, you have to have something to give. If you have nothing, you can't be generous. There, there has to be some sort of foundation. Also, generosity must come from yourself, your own decision to be generous. If you are generous under compulsion, that is not generosity. If you take something from someone else and then give it away, that is not generosity. Uh, David was in this situation recorded in Chronicles, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, that, that he was going to go to the temple, and, but he didn't have anything to give. He couldn't be generous. And somebody said, hey, take this. Take this and just go give it uh, as an offering to God. And David, and I paraphrase, says, I insist on paying full price for this thing. Because I cannot give an offering that costs me nothing. You can't be generous if it costs you nothing. Now, I understand in a talk like this that we are all over the map. And even before we get into it, I, I want to recognize that. We've all heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Uh, and basically... Uh, with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, at the bottom you have your physiological needs, just like, hey, you know what, breathing. 
Like basically, if we sucked all the oxygen out of this place, none of us would be thinking about, you know, anything else except where am I going to get my next breath. The next level is safety, uh, then love and belonging and esteem, and then self-actualization, which is like uh, morality and creativity and spontaneity and things like this. And the idea here is you can never get to self-actualization unless you have self-esteem. You never can get to self-esteem if you do not experience love and belonging. You never experience love and belonging if you do not feel safe. And you will never feel safe if your physiological needs are not met. I took this idea and completely stole it for McNeese's hierarchy of Christianity. And really, the idea is, is quite the same, that I view generosity as the pinnacle of Christianity, as the personification of who God is. But you can't get there unless you have some foundations. And really, we're, we all start out in our spiritual journeys as infants. The Apostle Paul talks about us being babes in Christ and, and needing milk, and, and the reality is when you're a baby, when you're an infant, that you are reliant on other people to provide all your spiritual needs. Now, it's not a bad thing. And, and this is when we're, we're talking about these things, I don't want you to like look and go, oh, I'm glad I'm not an infant or, oh, that person's an infant. No, we need infants. All of us were infants physiologically at one point. That you know, it is, I would hate to have a church that was 100% the personification of Christ. And you're like, what? That means we're not doing our job. That there needs to be infants in the church. And if you're an infant today, I want to say thank you. And, and I'm glad you're here and you've, you've trusted us. So this is not, this is not a, a hierarchy of value. This is just an understanding of, of how the Christian life, at least in my my viewpoint, how, how we live out our, uh, the Christian faith and how, how we get closer to God. So the first one is infancy. And, and this is just relying on other people for all our spiritual needs. You know, you hear people say, I left that church because they didn't feed me. Well, you know what? That means you're an infant because you cannot feed yourself. So the next area or the next uh, kind of uh, level would be development. And this is kind of foundational training. This is, you know, going to Sunday school. And if you think about it, like in kids and everything, that, that uh, you, you are taught different things. You are starting to learn. The concepts aren't your own. I remember, you know, when I was a kid, especially during Christmas time, uh, I didn't have any money. You know, when I was five, you know, years old, I didn't have a job. You know, I was, I mean, I was just kind of learning stuff and everything, but I always gave stuff at Christmas. Why? Because my parents would take me out and, and we would go shopping. We would wrap something up and then I would, I would give it. A little later on when I had a little bit to go toward that, you know, it was a, it was a big deal. And a little bit, you know, you know that finally there was a point where, you know, we made an announcement on Christmas Day. Today is a day that, that Mark bought all his own gifts with his own money, and he's in it. Everybody 
groans, right? Because they know it's going to totally stink. But, you know, they're going to get something lousy, but they're going to get something that's generous, right, from your heart. And, you know, this is a place in the developmental stages where, where you encourage acts of faith. This is where, you know what, the person really isn't giving out of a heart or doing things out of their own faith. They're doing it out of somebody they respect's faith or, or a teacher or something like that. And this is in all areas of life, but we're specifically talking about just our, our Christian walk here. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just, it's a stage that we, that we learn. I honestly believe, and you could probably, you, a lot of you will probably disagree with this, but I believe a lot of us uh, go through an adolescent stage of, of our spiritual walk. You know, not all adolescents are, are terrors, right? But some are. You know, that, that uh, and during the adolescent uh, age, in physio, uh, physiologically speaking, that, that or, or uh, psychologically speaking, an adolescent is, is in that transition of, of really going from doing what they were told to do to doing something because they believe it is true. And in this stage, there's a lot of doubt that happens and, and questioning and testing of that foundational training. Oh, you say I'm going to be fulfilled with joy if I serve and I'm part of a community and stuff like that. Well, I'm going to try for a while without that. You know, or I'm going to do this other thing, or I'm going to experiment with these, these other things. We, you know, we did this as, as adolescents, as, uh, as people, and, and we do it as adolescents as, um, uh, in our faith. I can't tell you, and, and at several people here who, who came to faith at E3, they were baptized at E3, they went through their foundational training at E3, and as adolescents, they said, you know what? I'm leaving the church. I'm, I'm leaving. And it, it, it's a grieving thing for me, but I, I think I've got a better understanding of it now because I can't tell you how many people have like left to go somewhere else. They've gone to a Baptist church or they've gone to a Methodist church. And there's nothing wrong with that, uh, it, you know, those churches or anything. But they, they've gone to try something out. This is the, the doubt. I, did, you know, I just don't know anything else except E3. Is there other expressions of faith that are more true to me? Is there other teachings or ways of teaching that resonate with me more? And there's kind of this adolescence of like, you know, going out. Some people flirt with, you know, uh, uh, just legalism. Others uh, flirt with uh, just, you know, just kind of a, kind of a, a, a more liberal theology and, and, and just kind of go out there and they're doubting what they've been taught. You know, this is part of the spiritual journey. The next thing, uh, if a person uh, gets through adolescence, is maturity. And in the, in the McNeese hierarchy of Christianity, maturity is, is the point where you finally fully submit to Christ and his teaching. Where you're like, you know what? I believe in Christ. I have tested, I have doubted, I have questioned and even though I haven't questioned every aspect, I have found that all the things that I have questioned, that, that I, I understand now that I can trust Christ and I am going to trust Him in everything. I'm going to default to God's Word and God's teaching in Christ's life as the, as the uh, main compass 
of my life. You know, and this is, and then in this maturity, the shift has now happened from being self-focused, which a lot of us come to faith. Jesus saves me, which is totally true, but there's more to it than that. And this is the stage where you realize that it's not only about me, but it's actually about God and others. And then finally, I believe we move into this personification. And to me, personification can be summed up with one word, and that's generosity. Generosity is, is the tangible expression of love and hope and joy. Generosity is the, is the tangible result of, of a transformed life. Where no longer you are giving because under compulsion because you think that it's going to get you something or, or it's going to fulfill you. But you now see yourself and you're able to see beyond yourself actually and you see yourself as part of a larger thing that you've been entrusted to lay the groundwork for future generations. About 10 years ago uh, or nine years ago when we were starting E3, uh, there was an older gentleman uh, who still goes here, but he, he was there. And, and I remember after uh, one of our core kind of meetings and, and we were ha- introduced some musical worship and, and things like that, I went to him and I said, why do you want to be part of this? Because I just, it just didn't seem like he was, he was older, you know, it didn't seem like uh, the rock and roll was his thing. It didn't seem like, you know, some Gen Xer from Los Angeles could be his pastor. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Mark, at my age, if I wanted to go to church for myself, I'd find a comfortable pew somewhere where the music wasn't too loud and the pastor could bring up some obscure nuance that I hadn't heard before. But I want to build a church for the future. And I didn't know it at the time, but really what he was communicating to me was this idea of of generosity. You know what? He is, he's no longer comes to church for, for himself. He's not an infant. He could very easily feed himself. He didn't need me to, you know, some punk from Los Angeles to feed him. I should be sitting at his feet, to be honest with you. Still should and do. You know, he doesn't, he's not in a developmental stage. You know, he's not, definitely not an adolescent. He is mature, but he's even gone beyond maturity to the point of personifying love and hope, and maturity. So really, when we're talking about generosity today, I, I understand in this talk that there's people here in every stage of development. And you know what? I can talk about generosity, and if, if, you're, if you're at the infant stage, 
you very well may be going like, what? I, I can't even feed myself. How can I be generous? And I just want to tell you today, we are so glad you're here because there are people here who need you, who desire to see you grow. Now, if you've been here for 20 years, all right, it's time to put, up, put on your big boy or big girl pants and start feeding yourself, right? But I, there's, a, there's a natural progression. You know, you may be here in the developmental stage where you're like, okay, I, Mark, I understand this is, you know, a, a generosity is a thing of action and worship and about others. And maybe you'll, you'll try being generous with your time or your talents or your treasures or something like that. Then great. Maybe you're in a place where questioning, maybe you're jaded, like, oh my gosh, how did I pick a time when they're talking about generosity? I hate it when pastors talk about generosity. Well, you know what? If pastors didn't talk about generosity, this church and no other church would exist. Or maybe you're at a place of maturity and, 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 and personification. And, and, and honestly, about 20% of the church does 80% of the work and the giving. That's just the fact. So just kind of this understanding that, you know what? There's 20% of you here that are going to be like, oh, okay. And, and, but you know what? You're not here for my teaching anyway. You're here to give, so sit there and give. You know, so we're all we're all good. So uh, a good friend of mine, Steve-O, uh, was good enough to do the video for I Am Generosity. Uh, honestly, this is probably the one that nobody wanted to do, and uh, so he was very generous to do this for us. Watch this video. I think generosity is, is really a heart thing. It's, it's recognizing a need in someone else or maybe even a longing in someone else and, and moving, moving to meet that need or, or moving to a place to, to help someone uh, meet that need. I love a passage of scripture that's in Malachi where God says basically bring all the ties to the storehouse. And if you do that, I'm going to, and I love the, the, the word picture, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you so much that you can't even contain it. And I just, I can't imagine what that looks like, but I wouldn't want to miss it. Generosity um, for me lived out. Uh, it's almost selfish because honestly, what it does inside me is creates a real joy. The Bible says that Jesus was watching the wealthy people giving into the collection box. And then along came what the Bible describes, what Luke says was a poor widow. And Jesus watched her put in two coins. And the Greek word for that coin was the smallest denomination in the Jewish culture. So for us, two pennies. And as she put that in and walked away, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this lady, this widow, has given more than all of the rest because they gave just a small portion from their surplus. And she's given everything that she has. And I think what that says to us is that we're, we're stewards of everything that God's given us, monetarily, but also with our time, with our talents. So, you know what, maybe we can only put two pennies in the pyramid. 
But we can be there on Sunday and pour someone a cup of coffee. We can be there on Sunday and hand somebody a fridge fold. We can be there on Tuesday night and run a vacuum cleaner and prepare for the next gathering. There's lots of things that we can do and be generous with besides things that are monetary. All we have comes from God. And I think once we get our, our hands wrapped around that concept, it's a lot easier to, to be generous. My name is Steve and I am generosity. Just to let you know, there wasn't room on the fridge fold for the uh, little uh, hierarchy of Christianity, so I tweeted it out. It'll also be on the Facebook page uh, this, this afternoon, so you can grab that and refer to that for your growth group or for your personal pleasure uh, uh, later. Uh, I, an African, um, African-American pastor told me once, and I want to share it with you, that he, that he says that the sermon clock does not begin until the text is uh, read. So all that previous, that was just free time. Just I just got it. So you can't count that against me. All right. So I'm going to read the text now, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 1. I really don't need to write you, this is Paul writing, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. And here as we begin our, our kind of journey and looking at generosity and just kind of unpacking that, and we already understand that you cannot give what you do not have. We understand that you can't take from someone else and uh, give it to someone else um, and, uh, and call it generosity, that uh, we understand those things. And here Paul is talking with the with, uh, the the church in Greece here in Corinthians, that, that, hey, you know what? Your generosity has stirred up other people. Reading in the devotional, I read ahead uh, this week, just, you know, sorry, but I just, I just did. And Jen Beatty wrote a devotional, and she taught, said this one thing, and I, I wanted to share it with you. She said, generosity is viral. And I really love that, that idea that, that, you know, the, the virus of generosity, that, you know, this idea that you can catch it, that, that you know, if you're in the proximity or, you, you know, you, are, you come into contact with, with generosity, that, that it changes you and, and hopefully it moves you from infancy and up toward this idea of personification of generosity. She used this verse uh, out of the message in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, just this idea of personification of generosity uh, in the idea of Christ's love. And I just, I really love this. Observe how Christ loved us. Okay, this is a good thing to observe, right? We're meant to be followers of Christ, so we should observe how he does things. And this is how he did it. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. I love that, that just like, you know, he wasn't cautious. He, would, he, he, he was almost reckless. It was, it was extravagant. 
He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Then he says, love like that. Well, I don't know about you, but, but not being reserved with my love, to love extravagantly and knowing the personification of love is generosity. Wow, that is a high order. That is a high calling. And no wonder only about 20% of, of, of us can get there because it's scary because you're doing something not for what you can get out of it, but you're doing it for others. Max Lucado said this, and I thought this was a great quote. There is a time for risky love. There is a time for extravagant gestures. There is a time to pour out your affections on one you love. And then this next thing. When that time comes, seize it. Don't miss it. This kind of this idea that, that looking for a time for risky love, not foolishness, but risky love, a time for extravagant gestures, a time where, where you see an opportunity to love extravagantly, to personify this idea of not loving cautious but loving extravagantly. And it doesn't have to be with money. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your heart. It's time to be extravagant with your love and, and coming in at the right moment and really changing the trajectory of someone's life or an organization's life or a church's life. Paul continues on in verse 6. He says, remember this, and now we're going to get like a story for us to get a better understanding of what generosity looks like. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Let me tell you something about poverty. Poverty is not only a financial condition. It's much more than that. It is a spiritual condition. Christ in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 talks about people who are poor in spirit. And the real war on poverty is not merely economics. It's much more than that. It's a spiritual war. It's an emotional war. It's an educational war. It's a holistic war. And it is my personal belief that one of the reasons we are not winning the war on poverty is because we're not taking a holistic approach as God lays out in his word. You know, I look at this kind of this, this 
little parable that Paul's using. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. We get that, right? Like none of us would imagine if we, you know, plant three little corn seeds that we're going to get like acres and acres and acres of corn. But he's trying to use this illustration. If we only plant a little bit of love, if we're only generous a little bit, then you know what? That's only going to produce a little bit. And what's being trying to be painted here for us is this idea of an extravagant love, of a risky love that is personified through acts of generosity with your time and your mind time, thinking about ways to love people and actually following through with those things and being generous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he continues on, it says, For God is the one who provides the seeds for the farmer and then bread to eat. Basically, he turns it here and is like, you know, the farmer, you know, may think, oh, these are my seeds. These are my seeds, so I will plant them as I see fit. Okay, you know, if I choose to have a big harvest, then I'll plant a lot. If I choose to have a little harvest, then I'll just plant a little bit. And then Paul turns in and goes, oh, by the way, those seeds in your hand that you're trying to decide if you're going to plant and be generous with, those are God's. And it's God's desire that you plant. I think this is one of the biggest truths that, that God is looking for conduits of his love and mercy. God is looking for conduits of generosity. He is not looking for a reservoir. He is not looking for a place to, to fill up so people can water ski or fish or whatever in, the, in Lake Generosity. No, he is looking for people to be a conduit of his love and mercy and generosity. He wants his love to flow to a thirsty world. Yes, verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. Again, this idea that you are being enriched so you can be a conduit to be generous, not a reservoir. And when we take those gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from the ministry of giving from your result, as a result of your generosity. Paul says there's two things that are going to happen. Number one, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. Let me just make that real tangible. When you are generous here at E3, the needs of the infants and the needs of the, of the people in development, the kids, E3 kids, and of the growth groups and, and, and the foundational classes, the stage classes, people are being met with, are being met. Adolescents, people, you know, uh, who, are, who are doubting, who are skeptics, who are wondering, you know, will be met. Casey, can you bring up my little hierarchy thing? You know, when you give and when you're, you're uh, generous that, that we are moving people from infancy to this place of maturity. 
It is through generosity in, the, in this church with your time. Because we can't do E3 Kids. We can't, musical worship can't happen. All the tech stuff cannot happen without being, people being generous with their time. You know, generosity happens when you, when you put food in the serve Tallahassee bin. And you know what? It is because of generosity that that is put together and 77 families are blessed in Frenchtown by people who give their time to take those groceries. It is because of our church's generosity that there are nurses being trained in Haiti, that, that houses are being built in Guatemala, that a documentary about uh, child trafficking was filmed about Africa. You see, infants can't do that. People in developmental stages can participate in that, Adolescents are just in a place where they may not be able to do that. It takes maturity, and even more than maturity, it takes personification for the conduit of God's love and mercy to flow into the world. Now, again, you may be at an adolescent stage right now and you're questioning everything that I say and I, I accept that and I'm good with that. I understand that that's where you are. But the people here who are personifying and who are mature are giving so you will not always be there. And this is how the church and really everything else works in life. So he says the first thing is that the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. And the second thing is they will joyfully express their thanks to God. That, that your generosity facilitates worship. It allows people to see God beyond and, and not be uh, subject to their circumstances. And then he ends this part like this. He says, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. I wholeheartedly believe that the tangible expression or the personification of love and hope and maturity is generosity. I also understand and I celebrate the fact that we're not all there because that gives us all a role to play. But to me, you know, it is my hope and desire, and I hope it is the hope and desire of every single person who goes to this church to grow, to grow up and, and pray and invite other people to come into the journey 
so we can be generous with our time and our money and our love to them too. So they will also grow up and hopefully grow up into the full stature of Christ. I hope that this was a provocative conversation starter for this week. I fully understand that many people may be sitting here uh, uh, in complete disagreement. And again, that's okay. And that is great. But the bottom line is this. That, that we are called to be conduits of God's love and mercy and that we are to personify Christ in every way. And Christ's love was not cautious. Christ's love was extravagant. And that we need to look for those opportunities to be extravagant with our love, with our generosity. So we do not miss an opportunity to be generous in those places that God has equipped us and entrusted us to step into and be the personification of him. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, just uh, thank you for this place. God, I thank you for infancy and I thank you for people who are being developed and I thank you for adolescence. God, I thank you that this is a place where skeptics can come. God, I just thank you for those who are mature, and I thank you for those who step out and who are the personification of you. God, it is because of those that we can be here today. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.